I want to invite you this morning to take your Bible with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15 is where we're headed today, and I am looking forward to digging into this text as we continue our series, Hope is Here. Now, next Sunday, the 23rd, is the Sunday before Christmas, and it will be our finale to our series of Hope is Here. Next Sunday night, I want to invite you to join us for Christmas at Parkway. It'll be a lot of fun that Sunday night. We'll start at 5.30, come early for some coffee, a coffee bar, Christmas cookies, some time of fellowship and connection, and then also a wonderful time together in the service that night on Sunday night. Now, the book of Romans is a pretty intense book. It's actually one that for the last several months I have been thinking, therefore praying about taking our church through a journey through the book of Romans, a teaching series. Uh, now, this is a book that is, is just chock full of biblical principles, uh, spiritual uh, guidance, overall applicable truths that we can take today and apply to where we are. Now, it would be no small task once the Lord greenlights that and shows us when it's time to dig in from the beginning of Romans to the end, verse by verse, and go through this as a journey together. It could easily take a year to walk through the book of Romans, one that I believe we would take with all seriousness and one that I find we would find together to be really helpful in our spiritual journey. So would you commit to praying with me that God would show us? 2019 is, is scheduled out with our series and with our sermons, but I'm open and ready for the Lord to redirect if he has us go that way. Now tonight, or this morning, uh, we're looking at just one simple section of the book of Romans, but let me lay the groundwork so that you understand a little bit about who he's writing to and, and why he's writing this. Now, we know the author is Paul, and Paul is writing this book to Christians in Rome. Now, the Romans have a little bit of a, a controversy going on in the church at Rome. The emperor, Claudius, he had abandoned all or, or cast out all the Jewish people from the city of Rome. And so all the Jews, the Gentiles that were a part of this growing local body of believers, this church, all of a sudden the Jews, both saved and unsaved, are cast out of the city of Rome. Well, five years later, the emperor Claudius dies, and the Jews, both saved and unsaved, are welcomed back into the city of Rome. But when the Jews, the Christian Jews, come back to the church, they realize that in five years, some things have happened with the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians are trying to mesh and find out where this is going to connect. The Jewish Christians were upset that Torah, the, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, were not the focal point of this local church. They were also upset that the Gentile Christians were not being circumcised, they weren't kosher, and uh, they had abandoned really anything that the Jewish Christians were trying to bring to the table because they were so stuck with the ancient law of how they thought they should be living. So that's why Paul writes this letter. Now we know Paul, he was formerly Saul, he was a religious leader, he was a Pharisee. And when he got saved, God drastically changed his life. And remember Paul, Saul, he was a part of the first martyrdom. It was Stephen, a disciple, or a, 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 he was a deacon of the church, and Stephen was martyred by the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and it was Saul, Paul, who stood there with the approval that said, cast the stone and pummel this guy and kill him, put him to death. Well, this was certainly before his conversion to Christianity, but this is who Paul was in his former lifetime, you would say. When God changed his life, Paul is going to go on missionary journeys. He will travel from one place to the next, and he is going to plant churches, meet Christians. He's going to minister to them, and he's going to give them instruction and teaching that's going to guide them and help them. And so what we find here is that 
Paul is often, all throughout the New Testament, the books of the Bible that you will study are letters written by Paul to these new Jesus communities of people that he is going to address specific needs that are happening in that church. So when we get to the book of Romans, what's going on? Well, you have Gentiles and Jews in the church that are at conflict and at odds with one another. So Paul is going to lay the groundwork in chapter number one with the theme of this letter, verses 16 and 17. And he's going to emphasize that the power of salvation comes through God and it is going to be given to the Jew and to the Gentile. So he's going to address these needs all throughout this long, systematic letter that he will write. It's the longest and most systematically purposed letter that Paul will write that we have in the New Testament. So it's an incredible journey when you start from the very beginning understanding there's some... And he says that, that there is justification by faith or through faith, and that has to happen because of sin in our life. That's why we get Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23, a part of a very important part to the Romans road. Then he gets to chapter number 5, 6, 7, and 8, and he's going to speak about the importance of what this justification should do in transforming our lives. That's why when you get to Romans chapter number 6, you talk about should sin abound in our life just so that we can experience more and more grace? He says, God forbid. That doesn't need to happen. So he's going to address issues in that section of the letter that is really important for us to understand how do we apply this to our life today. So then he gets to chapter 9, 10, and 11, and as he gets into this bulk of the letter, he's going to show those who are reading it and applying it now today how we apply the gospel to our everyday life. Now, we often talk about the power of the gospel in our life. It brought us to a place of salvation, but it also brings us to a place of spiritual growth. It helps us to take the next step to be more like Jesus Christ. That does not happen in our own works or by our own desires, but through the power of the gospel. And Paul is going to emphasize that through these chapters of 9, 10, and 11. That's why when you get to Romans chapter number 10, you can have verses that talk about how we are to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, to believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead. He says that if we believe that and we confess that, then you will be saved. So there's a huge emphasis here on 9, 10, and 11. Now, when he gets to the end of his letter, chapter 12 through chapter 16, which is where we find our text today, he is going to help the believers to see how this is so crucial to the unity of the local church. He's going to spend a lot of time expressing this teaching and emphasizing how this, how this experience affects who you are each and every day. So the church has no reason to be disunified if you'll just spend time studying Romans chapter 1 all the way to the benediction in chapters 15 and 16. Now our text this morning is going to come right from chapter 15. We're going to look at a couple of simple verses, 12 and 13. We're going to bump back a little bit in our outline to verses 4 and 5. But I want you to walk through this with me this morning. I'm very excited that God is giving us this today, and I hope it will be a help to us. Verse 12. And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now that word trust is a, it's an attitude of looking forward to. It's also in the Greek language, it's the same word that you're going to find in verse number 13. It's the word for hope. And so he's saying that the Gentiles too are going to find their hope their trust in God because this gift of salvation has been offered to Jews, God's people, but also to the Gentiles. Verse 13, 
Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. This morning, let's venture together in this text and see the clear results of hope. The clear results of hope. By the time we walk out together today, we should all be looking into our own life to see if these pieces of evidence are clear results of a true, securely need you distractions from our heart and our mind that you'd help us to open our ears, that we would open our hearts, that we would be willing to be transformed today. Help us to be sensitive to the teaching and leading of the Holy Spirit. If there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are without hope. They are, in a sense, hopeless. But God, today they can find that true hope in you. They can experience joy and peace. They can have that comfort and encouragement. And they can see that found in God's word. For it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. But that faith can come by hearing of the word of God. And so may today you transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Right away, when we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to find that the source of hope is introduced in a section of verses right before our text. First of all, the source of hope in verse number 4, he says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now remember his audience. Remember who he's writing to, Gentiles and Jews in the church in Rome, conflict happening. The Jews were thrown out of the city for five years. Thankfully, Claudius dies. They come back, and they're just, they're world, they, they've got a, a world turned upside down. They're trying to figure out where do they fit and, and, and what's really true, and how come you guys don't look like us, and how come you don't talk like we do, and how come you're not acting like we do? Can we really be a unified body together? And he says that, remember, aforetime, the things that were written for our learning for our instruction that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Verse 5, now the God of patience and consolation or comfort will grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. This section is crucial to Paul's direction because he's going to bring their attention to the reality that we are not to focus on ourselves but to look to the benefit of others. Remember, he would write that same thought to the church at Philippi. Look not every man on his own things, but also on the things of others. And so he's telling this to the church at Rome, who's kind of at conflict. And they're saying, you don't look like us. You don't act like us. And they, there's no way we can be on the same page. And Paul is saying, quit looking at yourself, but look to be a blessing to others. Look to truly love God and love people. This this focus that Paul gives tears down any prejudice and any conflict that would have been in the church. He is clearly going to say any prejudice and any conflict does not go a part of the local church. I would even dare say to us today that if there is a church with prejudice and conflict, is it really a local church? I mean, chew on that for a little while. I mean, is that really the bride of Christ is that really how the body of Christ functions? When your body doesn't function correctly, you do something about it. And you see a physician, you see a surgeon, and sometimes the local church needs a person or a part of the body of Christ to meet the great physician, the great surgeon, and sometimes amputation happens or sometimes a little break in order to correct has to happen. 
So prejudice and conflict within the local church just doesn't mix. It doesn't go together. And Paul tears down that wall clearly by saying that you are not to look at yourself, but look to the benefit and blessing of others. Now, remember, the scriptures that they would have been referring to would have been the Old Testament. They would have known the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, all of the other parts of the Old Testament. This would have been the scriptures they held in their hands. And this is where Paul says you're going to find encouragement or comfort. This is where you're going to find instruction. And this is where you're going to find this patience. And it's all going to come from the teaching of the scriptures. Now, the God of comfort and patience in verse number 5, it meshes with verse number 13 because it says now the God of hope, comfort. So this is his word. He uses his patience. He uses his comfort. So, so folks, let's quit relying on our own comfort. Let's quit relying on our own endurance. Let's quit relying on our own words of wisdom, as feeble as they are. And let's learn to find our comfort, encouragement, our instruction, our learning. And let's find that from the scriptures, uh, God's word, and the leading of him in our life. I want you to ponder for a moment, where do you turn when times get rough? Where do you run when times get tough? What do you do? What do you rely on when life spirals out of control? For some of you, life spiraling out of control looks pretty big. For some other, where do you run? Control is pretty minor, but it's a big deal to you. So where do you run? What do you go to? What do you rely on for the strength and encouragement you need? Our knowledge of the scripture always affects our attitude toward the situation. You'll see that people will, will fly off the handle in situations of great desperation and not like Christ. And that's because they don't have a clear knowledge of the scripture that will guide them. Now, there are moments, there are seasons in our life of despair. There are seasons of life and of discouragement. But in the midst of those trials and in the midst of those discouragement, James reminds us to find joy in those trials. We're to somehow find comfort through the scriptures, through the word of God. And so as a believer, as a follower of Christ, there are times where life begins to unravel. We pace, we worry, we put our head on our pillow and it takes us an hour to fall asleep because everything's going through our mind. But what are you going to do with that? Do you run to God or do you allow it to build bigger and bigger and bigger until people around you are negatively affected? Until your God looks so small that people can't see it without a magnifying glass. What are you going to do in those times? This past uh, Wednesday night, we encouraged the congregation through our study of the book of Malachi. When we need to find out who God really is to us, is to do a study through the book of Psalms. And go from Psalm 1 all the way to Psalm 150. And, and just take your time journaling who God is to you in your life, in those circumstances. And get very specific. What does the Lord as my shepherd mean to you? Don't just move past that by saying, oh, well, the words are right there, so I'll write that in my journal. I'll move on to the next one. What does him being your shepherd mean to you in your life today? So God is the ultimate source of this hope as he is the God of patience and comfort, and he gives it to us through Christ Jesus. So Paul reminds us that the scriptures comfort us when we read them, when we apply them, and we take and grab a hold of the promises. Number two, the result of hope fills us with joy and peace. We see that in verse number 13. 
The result of this hope is that the God of hope, in verse 13, fill you with all joy and peace. Now, we've all experienced that moment of a fulfilled hope in our life, which, which naturally flows with a joy and peace from our, from our spirit. Uh, searching for God's will and direction. Some of you in here are desperately searching for God's will in your life. You've got a situation ahead of you. Uh, you've got a task ahead of you that seems very overwhelming. You've got something that is pulling on your emotions. You've got something that is uh, weighing heavy on your heart. And you're looking for what God has. You know when you find that answer, when God makes it clear and he begins to open doors and he begins to answer prayer and he begins to show you the direction, you know what it does to your spirit. When that hope is fulfilled, there is great joy and peace. Have you ever made a decision that you know God clearly led you to make and when you finally made that decision, you were overwhelmed with joy and peace? Brad, you've been there recently. You knew God was in this. Now, by the way, young people, if you make decisions for your life and you don't have that joy and peace, back up, hit the pause button, and make sure you find out why is it that God hasn't given me perfect peace about this decision? A place to go to college, a person to date, a person to marry, uh, a career choice, a place to work, a place to move, a friendship to have. Uh, there are things in our life that from every age scale in here today... We need to submit to the leading of God in our life and find that hope in Him and find the result to be that joy and peace. For you who've experienced it before, it's, it's very overwhelming. It's a sense of relief. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be smooth sailing, but you know that God is going to be in control. So the church in Rome, we know they were struggling to get along, and they missed the expectations of one another. They were self-centered, they were focused only on that, and they were basically saying, it's, it's my way is the only way. Now, when you look at the Jews and the Gentiles, you understand that what they were bringing to the table of argument were their past experiences and what they knew. And so when they came and said, this has to happen, this has to happen, whoa, I can't believe you're doing that, uh-uh, don't be doing that, that doesn't work. All of a sudden, that was based on things that weren't Scripture. And now they were having conflict because of pride and selfishness. And that happened almost 2,000 years ago. That same conflict is happening today in too many local churches. Because people bring their past and their experiences and they say, well, it's got to be this way because my way really is the only way. No, it's the only way you feel comfortable with at this moment. And when we bring our preferences to the table and that becomes doctrine by which we stand by, we're going to live miserably. I know plenty of people who are living that way today. Now, it's okay to have our preferences and it's okay to choose some things based on that. But if we're going to just go from one place to the next every six months because my preferences were not met, we're going to fall off. We're not going to experience true joy and peace. So Paul was addressing that. Now, notice the beginning of Paul's benediction here in verse 13. Because he is now going to give in, in, in this statement a transitional statement that is going to feed to verses 14 on all through. Because he's going to give his purpose for writing this letter. In verse 22, he's going to begin telling about his plans for traveling. You say, why in the world is this doing? This is very typical of the writing of that day. You say, well, the other letters were not written that way. No, but this was typical of the Romans 
how they would write. They would end their letters with their future plans. They would write by telling what's going on. And then he would give his praises and his greetings in chapter 16. He says hi to a lot of people that he hasn't seen in a long time. And so verse 13 becomes that transitional statement of, wow, here's a lot of content. And now let me bring it all to a refresher to remind you that it is the God of hope that will fill us with the results of joy and peace. But notice in verse 13 that he doesn't use the Jew or Gentile to describe the believers. What does he use? He says, fill you with all joy that ye or you may abound in hope. He addresses the entire unified body of Christ. Because at this point, he is assuming that they will take what they have been instructed with and they will apply it and grow from this. And so his people finding their spiritual satisfaction, God's people finding their spiritual satisfaction in their beloved Savior, Jesus Christ. Church family, don't come week after week to find your satisfaction in our connection classes, in our nursery ministry, in our kids club, in our youth group, in our music program, in your pastor who preaches. Don't look for your satisfaction in that. Look for your satisfaction in the very hope of who Jesus Christ won. We say it often to help remind us that our worship is not about your favorite song, my favorite song. It's not about your favorite tempo or your favorite this. It is all about that our spirit of adoration and worship is drawn to God. I found a story, a fable of uh, a man and a little boy. And uh, they were... They were, this story has been passed down to generations, and this elderly man was traveling with a, a boy, and they had a donkey that they were walking with. And so as they walked through a village, the man was leading the donkey, and the boy was walking behind. Well, the townspeople, they said that the old man was a fool for not riding. And so to please them, he climbed up on the animal's back. When they came to the next village, the people said that the old man was cruel to let the child walk while he enjoyed the ride of the donkey. And so to please them, he got off and he set the boy on the animal's back and continued on his way. Well, in the third village, people accused the child of being lazy for making the old man walk. And the suggestion was made that they both ride. And so to please them, they, the man climbed on and they set off the boy and the man riding on the donkey. In the fourth village, the townspeople were, oh, so upset at the cruelty to the donkey because he was made to carry two people. And so to please them, the frustrated man was last seen carrying the donkey on his back down the road. So today we laugh. And this story makes a very good point. We cannot please everybody. And if we try, we end up carrying a heavy burden, a donkey, on our back. The truth is, is that well-meaning Christians may offer us advice, and much of it is very valuable. But when we try to do everything that other believers want us to do, we can easily become frustrated and confused. That's why we need to remember that the one, God, we must please him above all other people and above all other names. And we do that by obeying God's word. 
So the question we must all ask ourselves today is, have you carried any donkeys lately? Because you don't have to if you're trying to please Jesus Christ alone. Now, when you think about that for just a few moments, here at Parkway, we emphasize in our Discover Parkway class that we are a church that is committed to unity in spite of diversity. We all come from different backgrounds. We have all lived in different places and been a part of different churches. We have meshed together for such a time as this. And we bring a lot to the table. We bring a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge. But the moment that we begin to want to shape a church based on everything that we think it should be is the very beginning moment that we will find discontentment in our hearts. The church is not placed in order to please everything that we want. The church is put into place as a rallying place, an instructional place, a place of fellowship, connection, and edification so that we now will go out and be the church making an impact and a difference. You know what happens that when we walk away from these doors and the only thing that we'll talk about in the restaurants or in our car or with our neighbors or people is all the complaints about how things went or how they didn't go? And so then the reflection of God's church, God's bride, by the way, God's bride, becomes a very tainted view of the real part of what the church is. And so here we remind ourselves that it's not about pleasing everybody. It's about pleasing God. Number three, in the same verse, we see that this hope abounds in us through the Holy Spirit. This hope may abound in joy and peace. That's the result in believing that ye may abound in hope. This word abound is an incredible verb that God used to describe our hope. Let me see if I can help paint the picture for us with this meaning of abound in hope. Now, all of us know what it's like to be caught in a central Florida rainstorm. The, the heavens open and the waterfall of rain just pours down. It's the kind where the wipers can't keep up with the rain and the, and the roads don't drain fast enough to get rid of all the water. Those moments, you've all been there before, that is where the rain abounds. And think God will drench your world with hope. Ten years ago, I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil with a mission team. We were serving the Huffman family and one day we went into the center of town of Sao Paulo. And as we went into the, we walked outside into the observation deck. And when you walk out and look at the city of Sao Paulo, you will look in every direction, 360 degrees, and you see what has been titled a concrete jungle. It's just buildings for as far as the eye can see, one skyscraper after another. You think about how the buildings abound in Sao Paulo. God will turn your world into a jungle of hope. And then as a child, I, I remember growing up in the coast, on the coast of Maine. And um, I remember in the fall season, we would, we'd get in the car and we'd go to the apple orchards. And we'd pull up and they would have their baskets out. They'd be selling apple cider, hot and cold. They'd, be, they'd have those delicious apple cider donuts that were always so soft. And, and then you'd get your basket and you would go into the orchards and, and you would start to pick the apples off the tree. 
I remember as a little kid walking through row after row after row after row of apple trees everywhere, and not just an apple tree with two apples, but trees full of apples. I remember that the orchard abounded with apples. So we must always remember that God will grant you a fall harvest of hope. That's what he means by abound. This hope in verse 13, that ye may abound in hope. The question is, can you use some abounding hope today? As Paul has already argued and he has made it very clear to the readers of this book, it is not the laws by the Spirit that brings joy and peace. He also says that the Spirit ultimately sustains hope. So he says to the Romans, hey guys, you need to get along. It's not about the Torah. It's not about the 613 laws that Moses penned by the voice of God on the tablets he brought down from the mountain so that you would implement and act out and live by. He says a new covenant has taken place. Grace has abounded so that hope can abound. And he says, don't be all bogged down with comparing from one to another. Quit trying to please each other by saying, okay, we'll do it your way today, but next week's my turn, and we'll do it this way. No, we'll have this, but give me a little bit of this. He says, just be unified together and do the work of Christ within your church. He says, it's not about the law. It is about the spirit. He says, it's about the spirit which will abound in you with this hope. Did you realize in that text where he says it comes from? In verse 13. He says that this hope may abound through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Christian, you've been gifted with that Holy Spirit at that moment of salvation. That Holy Spirit lives within you. It's the Holy Spirit which has the power to cause your hope to abound, to thrive, to be in bulk. Visualize the concrete jungle of buildings. Visualize the apples popping out of the tree. Visualize the waterfall flowing out of the sky called rain. That's your hope abounding. Here's what Paul would later write. He'd write in Ephesians 2. He'd say, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, total strangers from the law and from the Jewish nation and from what Israel had going as God's people. Then he continued by saying, you were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But verse 13 has a beautiful word that starts, B-U-T, but. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Last week when we looked at this hope, we saw that Jesus would go in the spiritual heavens and he would go to the Holy of Holies. The veil had been torn in two and he would go to make the ultimate sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ, the one-time sacrifice that now was finished and it was done on our behalf. So just as the church at Ephesus, we as Gentiles look back to and say, there was once when we were alienated, we were strangers to the covenants of promise, but... You do not have no hope because he says Jesus Christ has stepped in. And now you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the Jewish Christians were faithful to take the gospel to the Gentiles, the nations of the world today have the opportunity to trust Christ as Savior. So all through the New Testament, that teaching is going to come. Romans 5.5 tells us, And hope makes not ashamed, 
Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which given unto us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, sir or ma'am, let me help you to understand that your eternal salvation in Jesus Christ is not based on some religious experience that you had as a kid, as a teenager, or as an adult somewhere. Your personal relationship with Jesus Christ comes when you find yourself at a place where you're willing to admit the fact that you are a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God. You have done everything you can. You're a good guy. You're a good lady. You're a good, decent, moral individual. But there is nothing that in your morality or in your goodness that you can do each and every time you will shoot and fall short of God's glory, falling short of his son, Jesus Christ. So that's when God reminded us that he extended, demonstrated his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus would give us the clear teaching that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The examples are many through the teaching of the New Testament, but the examples are plenteous around you where you see lives of people filling these seats who their lives have been transformed by Jesus. People who were addicted to pills, people who were addicted to the bottle, people who were addicted to pornography, people who were addicted to hatred, to bitterness and anger. But Jesus came in and changed their life, and now they have this new hope in Jesus that they can begin to love others. So that story can be written on your pages today. It's that you come to a place of admittance and realization that you are a sinner in need of God's grace and that you will trust by faith. And you say, I can't do this faith thing. You've already done it today. You came in and plopped yourself down on a chair or a pew and by faith you said, this is going to hold me up and you didn't give it a whole lot of thought. Now, some of you maybe thought, is this really going to hold me up? But you, you just plopped yourself down. There's a lot of acts by which we do by faith each and every day. Now, when you put it into scale of saying your eternal life, life after here on earth, which, by the way, is just like a vapor. It's here and gone. Our life is short. Some have 92-plus years to live it, but we're not promised even tomorrow. And so what will you do with that life? What will you do with what eternity will And says, come, come unto me, and he'll give you that salvation. When you think about this hope, the clear results of hope, Christian, I want you to remember, you are stamped with God's image. The devil's days are numbered. You are an heir of God. Your prayers have power. There is grace for the humble. The tomb was temporary, and joy is soon coming. Are the clear results of hope evident in your life today? Think about that. Are the clear results of hope evident in your life today? They should be. Because remember, hope is here.